Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. Uh, The scheduled show tonight is Intuitive Intelligence, and our guest is Paul O'Brien. I want to take a minute, though, and talk about history, Um, history and our perspective of the of the future, because um, if if we look at the human dynamic that's happening now, if I were to ask you what's going to happen in the future, which direction is humanity going, is there a path to the salvation of humanity, if you will, an end of suffering, if you will. Um, with so much upheaval in society, it's. I think it's important to ask the, the deeper questions, the bigger questions, because the reason I say this is we're a month away from 2020. The year 2020 is coming around the bend, and and still we have massive suffering on the planet. We have um, uh, vast sections of humanity going downhill, if you will. Here in the United States, in, for example, Los Angeles or California, tent cities of homeless people living on the streets are growing. The problematic aspect of our human nature is growing. It's expanding. So what's it going to be? What's going to turn the bus around? Is it going to be academics? Because we have millions and millions and millions of graduates, PhDs, philosophers. Are they going to solve the problem? Is it going to through our analytical mind because it hasn't happened yet. Well, what about religion? Is religion going to turn the bus around? If you think about it, up to this moment, every single savior from every single religion that has ever existed on the planet has come and gone, and like I just mentioned, the suffering of humanity is expanding. So what's it going to be? When the next Savior comes back, or maybe the the previous Saviors are off at super Savior school. They're learning the super aspects of being Saviors. So... I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ, and I I don't want it to be construed in the notion that I don't have the utmost respect and and, um, adoration of such a, a magnificent Savior. But, like I said in this conversation, What's it going to be? What's going to turn the bus around? So when Jesus was in his last days on earth, being crucified on the cross, was he a gnat's ass from saving humanity? I suggest no. While, While he passed and made his transition, the Roman Empire was expanding their war plan. The Roman Empire was expanding their war plan. So a savior like Jesus Christ, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what a magnificent, what a powerful, what a what a incredible personification of of love came and went and still the atrocities of humanities were quite anchored in society. 
How many people are waiting for a savior to come back? How many people are waiting for academics to figure one more thing out? How many people pray to a big God in the sky to come save our asses? Is God going to come save our asses? Is some glowing orb going to come down from the sky and wave some magical wand? Because if we're hinging our future on a premise that has no merit, well, we've already, we've already missed the mark. I suggest saviors were never intended to save us. That doesn't make any sense. Saviors, I mean, the term savior means someone who saves. Saviors, I suggest, were never intended to save us, or Jesus would have done it, or Buddha would have done it, or um, pick a religion, pick a culture, pick a, a paradigm of a, of a savior. They were not intended to save us. Otherwise, it would have happened by now. What's the paradigm? What's the dynamic of what's going to save humanity? And in that last sentence, I gave a clue. What's the paradigm? What's the dynamic that's going to save humanity? We are here for the human experience. We are here as souls. We've incarnated as physical beings on this physical planet. We are here as souls, souls who have had many lifetimes on this planet. We are here as souls in human form, in human form. Our souls, let's, let's look at the dynamic of a soul. A soul has no sense of fear. A soul has no sense of limitation. A soul cannot embody anything but the truth. It's only in physical form that those attributes show up. That's the realm of the ego. That's the realm of human traits. But wait a minute, didn't I just say humanity was a key element in the salvation of humanity? Saviors have come and gone on this planet. Academics have launched legions and legions of PhDs and graduates and, and doctorates and pick a term, any term or Nobel Prize, or please, please, if you think of a grander academic accolade, whoever they were have come, and many of them have gone, and here we are. Is it our governments? Is it our kings and our queens? What are we hinging our future on here? I think we've had plenty of history I don't think we need more history. We don't need more of the same. The tea leaves have all the information that we need. I think it's quite clear that glowing orbs are not going to come down from the skies and wave a magic wand and remove the suffering of humanity. Billions of prayers have been prayed to God I mean, the, how many wars have, have existed in the past centuries? How many millions of people have died at the hands of another human being? Do you think mothers with sons who have gone off to war don't pray for them every flippin' day? Or the sons in the foxholes in the, in the heat of battle pray to God saying, oh, my God, get my ass out of here alive.
if prayers alone did it, billions of prayers would probably have amounted to enough. Because if we're not asking the right questions, if we're hinging our future on some notion that, well, we're not quite there yet, and pretty soon the big Savior will come back, pretty soon the big God will take an action, pretty soon some some anticipation of a paradigm, of a narrative, will kick in and humanity will end its suffering. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. If we look at the, the momentum of humanity, normal is more the same. Normal is more of the same. By its very nature, normal means what has always happened. So I suggest the human element has has a big factor to play. I, I think who we're waiting for here is humanity itself. Humanity itself to wake up and smell the roses, to wake up and discover its own potential. Humanity itself to wake up and embody its role in defining the future of humanity itself. But enough about that. Let's get to the show tonight. I'm, I'm so delighted for the topic tonight, intuitive intelligence. Make life-changing decisions with perfect timing. And our guest tonight is Paul O'Brien. Paul breaks down the philosophy behind uh, the concept and, and demonstrates the, the power of intuitive intelligence. He is a visionary and entrepreneur who invented a new category of software in 1989 that evolved to become the world's largest astrology and divination websites. He sold the company in 2007 and has since authored three books. One of them is the topic of the show tonight. Paul is a sought-after speaker, philanthropist, and founder of the Educational Divination Foundation at divination.com. Please welcoming me and welcoming Paul to the show. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Les. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to have been able to make it to the show tonight. That makes two of us. Hey, I love the topic of your book, Intuitive Intelligence. It's uh, the, the notion that there's an intelligence in us that perhaps isn't related to our ego directly, not not an academic intelligence, but rather, as the book title suggests, an intuitive intelligence. Tell us uh, what brought you to write a book about intuitive intelligence. Well, the book is is a story. It's, it's, it's a story of, of part of my life. And it's a how-to book about manifestation. In my life, in particular, my entrepreneurial life, is a story of manifesting a vision. And so it was a, it's a pretty amazing story. And people said to me, you've got to write this up. And so in the process of writing that story and um, drilling into the dynamics behind it, I realized that what made all the difference for me was this thing called intuit, intu, intuition or intuitive intelligence, which is a form of intelligence that's beyond, like you said, it's beyond IQ. And we know about emotional intelligence and we know about social intelligence. And there's a lot of different kinds of intelligence, but nothing could explain uh, the decisions that I made that led to uh, this uh, remarkable success uh, than in, intuitive intelligence. And, and that's about acquiring knowledge without recourse to reasoning. It's kind of like a higher uh, level of intelligence. And like you said, it's of the heart or it's of the soul as opposed to uh, the ego's uh, uh, needs and aims. So the book was really to explain what I had discovered through living. Well, it, it's a curious thing because it seems like our egos are the lowest common denominator in our consciousness. 
In other words, our egos have full dominion over staring at our phones. Our ego has full dominion over watching uh, countless episodes of, of TV shows sitting on the couch. Our egos can consume all of our consciousness and and leave nothing but fumes for the intelligence of our heart and our soul. How do you how do you uh, even start a dialogue with your ego as far as um, shifting your um, inspiration that's behind your actions, behind your intentions in your day to day life? Well. You know, I think of the ego as uh, levels of consciousness. I don't think of it as a a, a negative thing. I, I think it's very useful. Um, and, you know, our ego is our concept of ourselves, and it governs our behavior on the three lowest levels of consciousness. The, the lowest one being security or safety, and then slight, and then above that you have sensations and pleasure, and then above that you have power and control. Those are all the playground of the ego. And if somebody is stuck on one of those levels, like if you're addicted to security uh, or safety, so then you're always going to be operating out of fear and, and self-protection. If you're addicted to sensations and, and uh, pleasure, you're going to have more energy, but you're still going to be stuck in a pretty low level of consciousness, which is all about feeling good and avoiding pain. And if you're stuck in the level of power and control, you're going to be obsessed with getting your way and with uh, influencing or manipulating other people. But then the next level of consciousness higher, the fourth level, is the level of the heart. That's the love consciousness. And then we're transcending the ego. Um, the, the love consciousness is not something that uh, the ego gets uh, um, as much benefit from because if it's really love, it's it's about... Um, taking into account the collective good, taking into account what's good for the other, uh, and, and and supporting the other's ability to prosper and to love themselves. So that's when we get up above the level of the ego, and then the three levels above that are the sp- levels of the soul. At least this is the way I look at it, Les. So if we're stuck on the level of ego, we're never gonna be fulfilled. Now it's not that people that this is a it's not right and wrong. It's not about good and bad. It's just about, it's just about suffering. You're going to suffer if you if you never get fulfillment because the ego never gets enough. No matter how, what kind of rewards or what kind of accomplishments, uh, it's never enough, and it always wants more, more, more because it's based on this idea of separateness. It's based on this idea that we are um, we are alone or that we are separate from everything else. Whereas when you start transcending that, and love is the pivot. The fourth. The fourth center is the pivotal is the pivot point that takes you beyond ego and into the spirit and into the soul and into the heart and, and that's when you're driven by the heart. So that's that's the way I, I, I juxtapose the two. Well, I, I like it. I mean, uh, when we talk about etherical things, we need some form of model or template to relate to it, and and you've shared with us yours, and I, I very much uh, like what like what you've said and resonate with it. Now you mentioned that um, the intuitive intelligence um, experience that you've had was related to an entrepreneurial endeavor, um, as far as. Uh, Precluding the writing of the book, I mean, you were sharing how your friends were telling you that you should put into writing your experience. How does the intuitive intelligence play into the realm of fulfilling a vision or um, acting as an entrepreneur? Well, you know, that's that's basically what the book is all about. It, it, the subtitle is "Make Life-Changing Decisions with Perfect Timing." And so what that demands is that we l- get in touch with our intuitive uh, intelligence when we need it the most. Like if we're going to make a big life change, if we're going to change careers, or if we're going to move to a different state, or if we're going to marry somebody, or if we're going to divorce somebody, or whatever the huge decisions are, we, if we're going to make them skillfully uh, in terms of our ev- evolution and in terms of becoming free from suffering in our life, 
we're going to have to be driven they're going to have to be driven by intuition because logic can't handle it logic can't handle the really big questions because they're beyond our capacity to figure out so we're really good at figuring things out up to a certain level but when it comes to things that have to do with destiny or fate or or a person's uh uh purpose in life uh intuition uh has to play an important part and then my my story uh is about how i left um my career in the software industry uh to do something that was that i was wired to do because it was based on something that had uh, naturally fascinated me uh when i was young and uh, in fact it involved two things that fascinated me when i was young i was fascinated by software and this vision i had of multimedia and i was fascinated by this chinese of a system called the I Ching, which is a divination system. And um, what is a divination system? Well, that is a way of uh, stimulating your intuition uh, to think outside the box. And, you know, these things are in every culture. They're in every religion. They're in the Bible. They're in the Old Testament. They're in the New Testament. They had, they had a system in the Bible called the Urim and Thummim, which I talk about in my book, um, I wrote a book on divination, and I talk about it in that book, which was sort of some uh, dice or runes, we're not quite sure, that were kept in the breastplate of the high priest. And every once in a while, God would say, cast the umum and thummum in order to determine uh, if so-and-so should be the next king or whether to go to war against somebody or make these big decisions. So divination systems have been part of every culture in every society on earth since time immemorial. And in China, they had this one called the I Ching, which, was, which translates as the Book of Changes. And I became fascinated by that when I was a college student because uh, I was uh, you know, learning the martial arts, and I, w- I was interested um, in Chinese medicine, and, and, and this is one of the source books of the Taoist religion. And actually, you couldn't even call Taoism a religion. I mean, it's it's more of a philosophy or a way of life. And it, like I said, it's behind the martial arts. It's behind Chinese uh, medicine and feng shui and, and other things like that. So I became fascinated with that. And so at, when I was a, an executive for a software company in the late 80s, I found myself consulting the Book of Changes more often than usual because of how stressful it was at work. The office politics were terrible. And um, one day the light bulb went off, and I said, wow, I wish I could just do this on my computer. And that led to me taking my entire life savings and investing in the development of a prototype of what turned out to be the first divination software ever uh, published. Uh, It was an I Ching program. I called it Synchronicity. And that was to name it after the principle of perfect timing. So I talk about all these things in the book, and I talk about what synchronicity means. And, of course, there was no market for it in 1989. People who knew what the (laughs) I Ching was didn't buy software, and people who bought software were accountants and engineers who could care less. So it was just about the dumbest business idea ever, but it was out of love. I was fascinated by the I Ching, and I was fascinated by the potential of computers to deliver an immersive experience, which, of course, was prescient because we didn't even have CD-ROMs at that time. So I developed this thing, and I became an unwitting entrepreneur, and everybody thought I was crazy. All my peers thought I was crazy. I I left basically less. It's the story of a person who left money for meaning. I had a high-paying executive position in a growing industry, but I was unhappy, and I wasn't fulfilled, and I wanted to follow my heart. and to do. I just wanted to make a living doing something more meaningful for me and I was willing to take the risk to make that happen and I was following my intuition well you talk about um, change or the book of change and divination systems as a vehicle of change Um, when when we typically uh, perhaps the the popular common way of deciding things, oftentimes it can be done in just in our mind. But you talked about the Urim and Thummim or, or runes or um, t- 
other examples that you didn't share yourself, like a tarot deck or whatever. Or the when casting you, of uh, lots. When you uh, take that into a uh, now my analytical mind's got a question. If how do you how do you convey that in software? I mean, so you're shuffling a deck or you're casting. Uh, um, the runes, or you're doing the I Ching, perhaps with coins. Um, there's mm -hmm. a, there's a very mechanical um, interaction, if you will. I don't I, I don't want to delve into this uh, too much, but th the notion of a program being open to input from the intuitive source, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you how do you even go to code that up as far as uh, <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. And I was asked that question a lot. You know, how can a computer <laughs> capture the energy of a, a tarot card reading, et cetera, et cetera? And so I would point out, well, basically the way that I did it, and this was a major problem. I, I, you're hitting on something that was very central to the challenge of it all. How can I cast coins using a keyboard and a mouse? That was, and how can it be authentic? And I don't mean just mathematically authentic, how could it be energetically authentic so that the results right. you get are related to your energy, not to just some computer program's random number generator routine? That was the right. challenge. And exactly. It, and, and I labored over that. Now, uh, with tarot cards, it was easier. You know, I actually added a tarot card program uh, later uh, when CD-ROMs came out, and then eventually I got... Iching.com and tarot.com, and then I added astrology to all of that, and then it became the world's largest astrology website in like 2002, when I started providing, when my company started providing all the horoscopes and such for AOL and for Yahoo, and that's when it just went nuts, but and and grow to be a, a 10 million dollar company, but. The way I did it with tarot cards was fairly straightforward. You'd hold the mouse down over the deck, and it would shuffle for as long as you held the mouse down. And it would shuffle according to some algorithm that my uh, programmer had uh, developed uh, using a real deck of cards, and he simulated how many times he would ever shuffle the deck because old cards shuffled differently than a brand-new deck, etc. He was really into the specificity of these little details. <laughs> But but basically, we shuffled the deck as long as you held the mouse down over it, and then it was all shuffled. And then we the program would fan the deck out on the screen face down, just like you might do it on a tabletop. And some sure. tarot card re I'm not a tarot expert, but some tarot card readers do it that way. They'll fan out the cards, and they'll say, okay, pick your first card. Okay, and pick your second card. And then they put them into a spread. Well, you can do that with a mouse. And so we would just tell the user... Uh, you know, click on the first card, your first card. And so they'd go somewhere and pick a card, and then they'd do that seven times or 11 times or whatever the spread required, and that's how they got their cards. So they actually were picking their own cards. The com it wasn't like they were hitting a button and the computer spitting out seven cards, which is what all of right. our competitors did. Uh, and on the I Ching side, it was uh, I had to figure out a way to uh, create the same kind of Connect. So when you usually with the I Ching you cast three coins, and uh, you do that six times, and you get six lines, and so and the six lines have d different odds. So uh, there's four different kinds of lines you can get. You can get three heads, you can get three tails, you can get two heads and a tail, or you can get two tails and a head. Now the odds of getting two tails and a head are greater than getting three heads. So there's odds behind it all. And so we I just created this invisible wheel that had markers 16 markers on it for all the different odds of all the four kinds of lines and um and then you hold the mouse down and that thing would spin a, a thousand times a second and you let the mouse up boom that was your whatever it was on it was like the wheel of fortune so it was based on your timing as opposed to the shaking of coins but it captured the same exact mathematical odds and it had the same uh relationship to you or it had a similar relationship to you energetically and people would say, well, yeah, but doesn't the computer get in the way or whatever? And I'd say, well, it's just a technology, you know. Cardboard and ink is a technology. Uh, coins sure. is a technology. It's, so this is just a technology. And if you keep it transparent 
and you don't ask it to do too much or you don't ask it to do the wrong things. It's like if you took a cup and you, um, you, know, you threw dice. You can throw dice with your hands or you can put them in a cup or you can put coins in a cup and shake them around and throw, toss them. You're never going to say the cup tossed those coins. So it's the same right, yes. kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I like what you said because, I mean, from a programming point of view, if you just increment through a random number tree that a, a common seed gave you, the the card results would be uh, identical. And you talked about other programmers using that approach, but I'd, I really like your approach where in every moment up to the moment you click, um, the new possibilities come in, into play, which is exactly identical to shuffling a deck. So now mm -hmm. in your book, you talk about the space in between the lines. You talk about the real meaning lies in between the lines of the I Ching. And um, you talk about it as a, um, a vehicle of, of your own intuition. And some of the results of that can be um, uh, manifest as archetypes. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Uh, that's in the chapter on uh, divination in the book. There's only one chapter on divination. The uh, Divination is just one tool that we can use to stimulate the intuition. And the other chapters are, are all these other ways of becoming more aware and more mindful of synchronicities and, and, and your hunches. But when I'm talking about reading between the lines in, 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 in terms of using the I Ching, uh, or tarot cards, for that matter. Um, people think that these. A lot of people think, well, these are just forms of fortune telling, you know, and that's because they have been appropriated by gypsies and 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 other psychic friends, if you will. And um, but that's not what it's about. Basically, it is a, a tarot deck. And we'll just use that as an example. Even though in the book I talk about the I Ching, which is the one that I'm. Uh, I'm more of an expert on um, is there's 78 cards in a tarot deck, and in the I Ching there's 64 chapters, there's 64 hexagrams, there's 64 six-line patterns you can get. So the I Ching is divided; it, those are 64 archetypes. Each one of them is an archetype. Like um, the first time I ever cast the I Ching, I was basically I was flirting with this young lady who was showing it to me I was like I was 19 years old and I liked her and I was just playing along with it and I was kind of making fun of the whole thing and I got the hex and so I cast the I didn't I asked some nonsensical question and I cast the coin six times and then she looks it up in the book and I got the hexagram number four which is entitled youthful folly and it describes <laughs> a student <laughs> it describes the student who lacks respect for the teacher <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me try that again. And so this time I'm, I wasn't making fun of it. This time I was testing it. And so it ignored my question again and, and returned some text that said, questioning the sincerity of the seeker. And I thought, oh, my God, I was testing it, and it's, now it's testing me back. I, I was making fun of it. It made fun of me. And I realized it's just an energetic mirror. And so... I became fascinated by it, and I started studying it, and I've been studying it, you know, for the last 50 years, and um, or 40 years. <laughs> but in any case, uh, and I have discovered that the way it stimulates your intuition is by forcing you to read between the lines. It's not going to give you an exact, uh, it's not going to give you a prediction, although it can give you a great idea of which way uh, the wind is blowing and what the trend line is. It's going to give you timeless advice that's based on a certain archetypal situation, like youthful folly, for instance. It, it, there was a lot more to that reading than the student lacks respect for the teacher. There was some really pretty good advice in there about waking up and flying right. And all of you know, it's, it's a very, very profound system of timeless wisdom. So it's going to return some wisdom to you, and then you're going to, uh, it's your intuition that's going to make the connection between what it returns to you and what you were thinking about when you cast uh, the reading. 
So, you know, you had some problem or some dilemma or some confusion or some relationship. I mean, there's a lot of problems that logic can't handle. Now, Les, sure. I am all for logic. I'm all for logic as far as it goes. But it's not that great with relationship issues or or negotiating strategies or timing issues of any sort. And that's uh, where you need your intuition. And so um, a, a tool like the I Ching can help stimulate your intuition, but it's through the reading between the lines. You see, intuition is a form of pattern recognition. And it's looking at right. very, very large large patterns, like a whole lifetime or like a, 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 a stage of life. And it's, it's sort of like the constellations in the sky. You know, you've got to, the intuition is what fills in the dots. You've got all these stars that make a pattern, but there's a lot of gaps. And it's the intuition that fills in those gaps and creates a pattern. And so then all of a sudden we have a constellation. Well, that's what it's good for, is, is for connecting the dots. And reading between the lines is a form of connecting the dots. Basically what we're doing is we're trying to make sense of a coincidence. We're trying to derive meaning from a coincidence. What's the coincidence? The coincidence in the case of a, of a reading is what am I thinking about and what is the pattern that turns up? That's a coincidence. But it's not just a coincidence. It's a coincidence that you engendered through the casting of the coins or through the picking of the cards. And every one of those archetypes, so 78, every one of those 78 tarot cards is inside of you. That's what an archetype means. Carl Jung, I have a chapter in the book on archetypes and how to channel them and what they mean. And I have a chapter in the book on synchronicity, which is Carl Jung's other um, other uh, insight that was uh, pretty phenomenal. So all of those archetypes are inside of us. We've got everything from the king and or, or the lover to the devil to the hanged man, which is the scapegoat. We've got um, all of those things inside of us. And so when you pick a card or you cast a reading with the I Ching, it's calling attention to one of those, to one of those parts of yourself relative to whatever was on your mind. And so uh, that's the connection between archetypes and synchronicity. That's what uh, divination systems uh, use. But you can access archetypes without using divination. And I have a whole chapter on that, on how to channel archetypes. Like the, the four primary archetypes that I'm generally concerned with are the sovereign, that's the king or the queen, um, the warrior, that's the part of yourself that defends the boundaries. It's not a gendered thing. A mama grizzly is like the, the most fierce warrior there is. Then there's the lover. This is the one that's about merging and, and, and coming together. And then there's the magician, which is the inventive one, the creative power. That's channeling creative power. So then there's many, many more archetypes, and we can learn to channel those archetypes, and that's what I was doing when I became an entrepreneur. I was channeling the sovereign archetype. I said, this is, you know, I'm going to have this little kingdom, and my job is to take care of my people. And who are my people? My customers and my employees. And uh, so I woke up every day, and I'd say, dear God, today help me do my best to take care of my people. And let that be enough for me. And um, so I was channeling the sovereign archetype when I did that. And I was channeling the magician archetype when I invented this industry of divination software and invented all the products that, that came along with that. So I'm trying to help people do this and, and get beyond their ego, get beyond logic without forsaking it. In fact, there's a whole chapter on, on logic and, how to, how to, and, and an exercise for making bringing logic to bear on decisions, too. Well, I like it. I like what, what we're talking about here. So um, if this hasn't been in my wheelhouse, this, this uh, construct, and I've been listening to the show now, and I'm realizing that there's some um, um, intelligence or information in divination of the moment because you talked about um, it being a mirror to your own energy if you if you will so as I'm propagating through my life I'm a listener on the show perhaps and um, I've done pretty much all my decision making in my rational mind and here along comes this book intuitive intelligence that talks about a whole new realm of information 
and um, as you had mentioned, it's it's mirroring your own energy back to you. So, if I were to take a new approach to making decisions about things that aren't typically in the realm of the rational mind, like relationships or timing or synchronicity, what you're getting at then is um, uh, a methodology, if you will, to bring the information from the energy of your persona into the realm of your mind so your mind can intuit the, the wisdom behind that uh, energy. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it all starts with who am I? That's the essential question. And I, in Chapter 2 of the book, it's about self-discovery and answering that question, who am I? And then discovering what fascinates you or what fascinated you when you were in stage one of life, the student stage, even if you didn't pursue that fascination, even if you became a doctor or a nurse or something because that's what your father or mother wanted you to do. And so you just never thought that you had the option of exploring things that fascinated you. Well, we can always go back to that if we want if we're in a, you know, we're midlife and we want to change careers or we or our kids have left home for college and we want to uh reinvent ourselves, you know, we still have to answer the question, who am I? What is meaningful to me? What what does success mean to me? How do I define sec- success for myself? Uh that's the chapter 1 of the book is the challenge of success. And so until we know what we want, which is based on who we know ourselves to be, um, we, we, we don't really have any big decisions to make. In fact, we've probably let others make our decisions for us to a large extent, or we've basically sort of kind of made them haphazardly. But we, don't have, we, we can change that. We can, we can, um, we can become more creative but first we have to get in touch with ourselves. So that's what we're going to bring forth, and that's what's going to, uh, imp- that's what's going to uh, give us a, a, a vision. And that's in, in the book. So we get to the vision. That's the what question. You know, that's like, well, what do, I, what do I want? What do I want to do? What is meaningful for me? Now, logic can help with that, and that's why I have a chapter on logic in the book, um, logic can help uh, uh, at least rule out a lot of things out of the what question. Um, <clears throat> and I have a thing in the in the in the book in the appendix of the book, um, and it's on my website uh, divination.com. The creative manifestation treatment, and this is a way to invoke the archetype of creative power, or call it God. This is a way of invoking the uh, archetype of the divine in order to bring into manifestation your heart's desire. And I, I call it creative manifestation. And um, it, it, there's a whole system. There's like a, a, a seven-step system there. And logic is, is going to help us figure out the declaration step, which is where you declare whatever it is that you are trying to manifest, like, I am now enjoying a fulfilling relationship, or I am now enjoying a fulfilling career, and so um, that's that, that that's the what question, and logic can help with that. But then we get to the when question, and that is the question: Well, when should I? Well, the what question answers the question: What is the best next move I could make? And the when question answers uh, the question: And when should I make it? You know, when should I have that heart-to-heart talk? You know, we're always in a hurry in our culture. You know, we have what I call hurry sickness. We just can't wait to get to the outcome. We just can't wait to get to the finish line. Well, in life, there is no finish line. You know, we basically are in a process of self-discovery and learning uh, our entire lives. You know, the minute that we, um, the minute we say, well, I know who I am and that's all I need to know and I'm going to, you know, and I don't want to change, the minute that we make change our enemy rather than our friend that's when we stop that's when we stop learning uh, and i call that a learning disability in the book but um so there's the what question and there's the when question well the when question is 100 percent intuitive logic can't do that one if logic could do that one everybody would be making a fortune in the stock market 
So intuition is, 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 is governs the timing question. And if you're in sync, if you're in sync, if you know who you are, and you have a clear idea of what you want to do, um, then it then it all just comes down to developing skills and improving your timing. And that is a function of having intuitive intelligence. And so that's why I have these exercises in the book on how to how to medi- how to meditate, how to uh, fi- how to cultivate mindfulness of synchronicities, these meaningful coincidences that happen in our lives which are like the signs and omens that were referred to in the Bible. The signs and omens. What are the signs and omens? These are these amazing coincidences that happen, and they happen for a reason. And so it's up, we, we may never know the reason, but we should, pay it, we should heed the signs and omens. Right. Well, now, for the listener who this whole concept is new to, don't mean to put you on the spot, but can you give some examples uh, that uh, you've experienced yourself or that you know of that would uh, uh, put some uh, uh, background to what we're talking about here, some real-life examples? Well, yeah. I mean, in, in the book, I talk about my own example. And when I was an executive and I was making a lot of money and I had a lot of status and a lot of power, but I wasn't happy, you know, I was tempted to, um, well, I got the idea, I got this creative inspiration to create um, an I Ching program, and so naturally, uh, what tool did I use to make that decision? Well, I, I consulted the I Ching, and, um, and I, I don't remember exactly what the phrasing of my query was, but it was something like, um, should I try to create an interactive software version of you of the I Ching system and I just sat with that question and I meditated on it and I felt into it and uh, and then I took the coins in my hands with my eyes closed and I cast them six times and I wrote down the pattern and I got the um, I got the hexagram breakthrough leading to enthusiasm and that you know that was a pretty clear answer for me you know though there's been many other times like in a relationship where I met somebody who I was fascinated by and I wanted to explore the possibility of of starting a relationship and maybe I got the uh advice that was kind of cautionary you know I got a a a hexagram that was um something to do with dangerous depths or or um some kind of uh obstacle in the in the way and and you know like i said these things each one of these 64 has got like a whole chapter of of text that goes along with it a couple of pages and i felt like if i got one clear message or if i got one new idea i was getting my money's worth and that was basically uh that's that was my intuition would basically um, interpret what i was reading in terms of what I had been thinking about, and um, and it would just help me. It was just another form of input to, to help me make a decision. So it was a way to get my intuition involved. And a lot of times, it's very very difficult to access your intuition. That that's why I wrote a book. It's 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 more it's most difficult to access when you need it the most. It's when you're the most stressed out. It's when you're dealing with some right. big decision. And there's all this stress and there's all this fear and there's strong emotions, you know, there's craving or fear or, or uh, that is very difficult to make a good decision. And so I have this uh, kind of ironic rule in the book. I call it O'Brien's Law. It says the stronger the feeling, the less trustworthy it is as a, um, <laughs> as a basis for decision making. And boy, that surprises most people to hear that because we think, wow, you got to go with your feelings. You got to go in the strongest feeling. That's the most, that's the most reliable indicator. No, no, no. Intuition never uses a strong feeling. It uses a quiet feeling. It's a subtle thing. It's a very subtle sense. You get a gut feeling, but it's not an overpowering uh, thing. Or you get some vision, or you get some, or you hear something. You know, it's a, uh, it's a subtle sense. They call it the sixth sense. And it's the most subtle one, and it's drowned out by the other five almost all the time. 
So that's why it's so hard to get to. And that's why, you know, I felt like there was a need for this book. But it kind of seems like uh, um, perhaps a muscle. If you don't use your muscles and and then uh, a, a difficult task comes, it's very fatiguing. Where and mm-hmm. and this intuitive mechanism, if you will, if you stay in your rational mind over and over and over and over and over again, and you you don't really um, practice connecting with that subtle aspect, that subtle intuition, and then you get all stressed out, and then you try it, the the, the probability of of hitting the mark every time probably diminishes a little bit. Oh, absolutely. It probably serve you well to. To flex, to to go to it when the uh, stakes aren't high, when the when the opportunity to learn without consequence, if you will, and mm-hmm. and flex the muscle and, and develop a relationship with it before right. you need it in a stressful environment. Absolutely right. It in the more often you access your intuitive intelligence, the easier it gets. And the more aware you're going to become of the signals when they um, when they arise, this, the uh, synchronicities. Like just last night, it happens to me all the time now. It's like uh, just last night I got a, a ride from the airport using you know Lyft, which is like Uber, and um, and I was talking to the Lyft driver, and it turns out that this woman had some wisdom for me that I really needed to hear because I was really tired and I was kind of down about um, about something that was going on in my life. And, and, and I, I, uh, I shared with her some, you know, a, a point of view, and she goes, no, no, you, you stop. You can't, don't say things like that to yourself. And I thought, wow, yeah, I needed to hear that. That was really great. I um, uh, so it was, and, and we actually had some things in common, as it turned out. And I gave her a copy of my book, and she gave me a copy of her CD. And it was just one of those propitious meetings, but it was a totally synchronicity because she told me exactly what I needed to hear last night. And I'm so grateful, not to her. I am grateful to her, but I'm grateful to God. I'm grateful to creative power. I'm grateful to. The, the the way the universe works. So it was my intuition that allowed me to to recognize. Oh, this is no accident. I I needed to hear this right now, and I, I talk about that in the book too. About I call them visionary beliefs, and I call the whole system visionary decision making because decision making is the most powerful thing we do. It's the most high leverage activity that human beings can do. The quality of our decisions is going to determine our happiness and success in life more than any other factor. And so we need to get better at it because we're terrible at it. We're either too emotional, caught up with the strong feelings, or we're too over-rational and we're waiting for more information and we miss the windows of opportunity. So we need to recognize when a window of opportunity arises and and give it give it credence. You know, acknowledge the possibility that there are no accidents. Acknowledge the possibility that everything happens for a reason. And then let yourself be guided by the things that pop up in your life instead of just dismissing them as mere coincidences. So that's the practice. And the more that we do that, the, the more little miracles happen because we're tuned in. We're, we're able to, to, to notice uh, the meaningful aspect. We're able to leave the realm of ego and, 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 and go higher and, and, and start accessing our heart and our higher intelligence uh, in order to find meaning in what's happening. Right. Well, we've only got a few minutes left, and I want to make sure the listener knows how to get your book as well as any other aspects of your platform that you'd like to share with our audience. Sure. Thank you very much. I All of my work in my nonprofit's work is on display at divination.com. That's D-I-V-I-Nation.com. And that includes a, the, a link to the book. The book's available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or in many bookstores now. just came out um, a, a couple months ago. And uh, I also have 
uh, a podcast that's on that site where I interview uh, luminaries, people who are smarter than I am, and I've been doing that for 30 years. It's kind of like what you do, Les, and it's a, it's a labor of love. And there's also, we have an app for the I Ching called the Visionary I Ching Oracle, and that's available for iPhones or Android phones, uh, and there's a link to that on the website. So that's probably the best place to go, and uh, that'll link you to, we have another website about the book itself, which is called intuitiveintelligence.org, but um, divination.com will take you everywhere, and there's a contact form if people want to get in touch with me, uh, so that's the best way. Well, very nice. Um, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, I, I guess I would just uh, remind all of us that we are here to learn and grow, and it's a process that, that never ends. Um, it's called evolution. It's the evolution of consciousness and of human potential. And, uh, I, and the way that we do that is by... Um, making decisions that um, take us in new directions or that give us the option to explore new possibilities. And so I would say take the risks that grow you. Take the risks that are going to help you learn about who you are and what you love and what you're good at, and you can't go wrong. Well, very nice. Paul, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight on the show. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you, Les. I'm sorry I was late. It was it was delightful to be with you. We've been talking with Paul O'Brien, and the topic tonight has been intuitive intelligence. It's it's a curious thing when you uh, when you look at the human uh, persona, if you will. I I'm I'm always fascinated by this notion of human consciousness and what it's capable of, both in a positive, expansive way and also in a negative or uh, quagmired sort of way. And, and <laughs> we live in such an amazing time. There's sev- 7 billion-plus flavors of humanity walking around, and each one's unique. And uh, on the show, we like to explore the possibilities of, of transformation of our human condition, even... Uh, either individually or collectively, and I think those two are somewhat related. And that's why what I like about our, uh, like the conversation we had tonight, tapping the the intelligence of your intuition, perhaps uh, um, teaching your ego to flex that intuitive muscle to. Um, to learn how to not only connect with but also trust uh, a level of intelligence that transcends perhaps the the ego itself. You know, it's a it's a curious thing when when there's a desire in the heart of humanity for a a more authentic story. Desires in the hearts of humanity for a, a more authentic truth, if you will. And all of that uh, originates from within us. The the everything we're looking for on the outside, perhaps um, the source of that is on the inside of us. And and so it's as always, it's my pleasure to bring you perhaps a new point of view, but certainly uh, a conversation about your potential. Um, you can go to newhumanliving.com, and, and uh, I've created a platform there to support you in the transformation of yourself. As always, I appreciate you joining us in these episodes. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open, check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.